Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. It's the Thursday morning edition, so this will be done before Vanderbilt plays its SEC tournament game with Florida. Anyway, Chip Frederick joins me in this one as we talk a little hoops, followed by mostly baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt defeats Texas A&M in its opening Southeastern Conference tournament game. That on Wednesday night, your final from Nashville, Vanderbilt 79, A&M 68. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. We welcome Chip Frederick to the show. Chip joins us every week during baseball season. Chip, we're going to dive headfirst into baseball in a minute, but first, basketball, and this will become dated quickly. We're doing this on a Thursday morning, but the Commodores won a basketball game last night in the SEC tournament, defeating Texas A&M. Frankly, I thought it might have been the team's best game of the year. What were your thoughts on what you saw? Yeah, well, Chris, it's amazing uh, when you can get some production, some consistent production out of a couple other guys other than Scottie Pippen, and that's what happened. I mean, anytime you get DJ Harvey and Maxwell Evans contributing like they did with 17 and 12, respectively, it's it's amazing what could happen. So it, it definitely, I'll, I'll tell you this, early on, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but Vanderbilt was definitely the team that wanted to be there, I think. I just I got the feeling in the first couple minutes with their energy and the way that you know, Texas A&M was going about their business, that Vanderbilt was the team that had, you know, wanted to continue playing. And, and Texas A&M has been through a lot. That's true. I mean, they haven't played a lot of games. They've been shut down a couple times. But uh, the Commodores just uh, really ran roughshod over Texas A&M's zone and, and got, you know, three after three, and then the momentum 
even when it switched back to Texas A&M in the second half, it was good to see this team with as young as they are to, to bounce back and to really take command. So uh, kudos to that group. Uh, they definitely, you know, playing at home and not having to travel and a little combination of Texas A&M maybe wanting to pack the bags and go to spring break. But uh, it was good to see the, this team uh, get this 11-point win. Yeah, it felt like they were in control from start to finish. Like, even when A&M tied the game late, it felt like Vanderbilt had been the better team. Maybe that's a weird way to look at it. Maybe that's an unfair way to look at it. But it felt like, even like the announcers, and, and maybe, I, maybe I'm off on this. I'm dealing sometimes with barking dogs and kids interrupting me while I'm trying to watch. But it seemed like the announcers talked about Vanderbilt most of the time, and it was almost like they picked up on it, too. Yeah, I mean, it was the, the, the uh, for what was it, 36 minutes uh, of the game, it, it was either Vanderbilt was winning um, or it was tied. So I had the same feeling as you did. And, and, and when you're shooting in an arena like that, when you haven't had probably, uh, I think they did the shoot around, the Commodores did the shoot around at their place, but I'm sure they got some, be able to get some baskets up at uh, Bridgestone. But that's a different, different venue, just like Memorial is a different venue for people coming into here. But it is a different uh, perspective when you're shooting, and they were shooting the ball like the basket was, you know, um, circumference was six feet. I mean, it was just throwing it up there, no doubt that they had the green light. Several guys had the green light to shoot. So we will see how this continues on. But, again, I, I, it's amazing when you get production, and even uh, Jerry Stackhouse said in the postgame, it's, it's a team game, and when you can get – you know, 22 points from Pippen and Harvey 17 and Evans 12. You can you can beat a lot of people, especially when you rebound the basketball and you share the ball too. Let's talk baseball. The big news heading into Stillwater is that the Commodores are down two men, Dominic Keegan, their best hitter, maybe their best player. I don't know that Carter Young's got an argument. And of course, there are a couple of pitchers that might want a word in that discussion too. But certainly they will miss Dom Keegan this weekend. Luke Murphy also out, who seems to be splitting closing duties with Ethan Smith. Now, this is an exceptionally deep team, uh, but I think that certainly you'd rather have those guys than not heading into Stillwater. Yeah, you know, that that was um, a little mixed messages, signals we got in the midweek because we heard on the television broadcast, at least um, on the SEC Plus, that there was just uh, Keegan was sitting on uh, the game against Memphis just to let someone else play. And then it comes out that he has the COVID uh, symptoms or he has a, a contact tracing. So they were probably trying to keep that, I guess, under wraps and not sure about Murphy. And it's interesting. And I don't know if you know anything further, Chris, but it, it almost has to be contact tracing to someone they were around because those guys are in the dugout. They're sharing batting cages. They're in a locker room. And I would be surprised if if it was anything more than that, because you would think it would would have spread and the contact tracing would have been greater. So not sure if you know any more about that, but it's, you know, when you when you have through 10 games, a guy hitting 548 and you take him out of the lineup, it's definitely a hole, especially the way that he was hitting, uh, you know, without a conscious almost. I mean, he, he was leading the team in every single category hitting wise with the exception of run scored, Carter Young has 17 and Keegan has 13, but uh, it's going to be a blow. And I also don't like the fact that Murphy, I mean, even though with five innings of work, he, he's someone who is a strike thrower and, um, you know, pitching to contact, does real well, has done real well in the games that he's been in, the four games. So 
we'll see how it works out this weekend in Stillwater, but uh, definitely, um, you know, going with not a fully loaded deck there as far as uh, your best players uh, heading into this um, series. I think that'll that'll really tell a lot about this team and and where they are. You know, Oklahoma State's 10-0-1, and, um, and they're going to be gunning for Vanderbilt. I mean, this is for Coach Holiday, who, of course, has a relationship with Tim Corbin, coached here. You know, they're, they're, this is going to be something that their their team has been pointing to for a long, long time as an important series to see where they are. But, you know, these guys are competitive as well. Corbin and Holiday, they're going to go at it as far as being friendly competitors. And so it's a shame we don't have Keegan and Murphy, but, you know, this team is deep and we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, Murphy's, I understand, is contact tracing. But I want to switch gears a little bit. It's not like a gift when you lose those two guys, right? But I could see this helping them in the long term because they were obviously going to have a problem particularly with the lineup. And I say problem, maybe more of a, a situation to manage. Uh, it, it's a good problem, but they've got a lot of good hitters, especially with Spencer Jones coming back. I think this is one of those things, and you saw this with Cooper Davis when he got hurt a couple of years ago with Pat DeMarco got hurt in the national title year. It gives you a chance to develop some other guys, and I think that they are going to end up being stronger for this in the long term. And then they take a loss or two uh, that they might not take with those guys out but I do think it'll be interesting because they're going to have an issue getting some talented hitters on the field, and this at least gives them an opportunity to do that now and gives them some more data points as they try to figure out what that lineup's going to look like down the road. Yeah, you're not going to go through a year, uh, even in the you know the, the best teams, they're going to have some injuries and scenarios where there may, some guy hurts an arm or you, you get a pulled hamstring and you're out for a couple weeks. And then, as you mentioned, the, the situation – um, that happened earlier in the year, you know, the first game, you know, takes one off the face. I mean, that's that's that doesn't happen. You you can't plan for that. I mean, Cooper Davis, who in the world would have thought that would happen? But it does help your team grow and build depth, and and that's what they'll just have to move on from this and and find some guys to to do that. But there have been I don't recall a year in the last decade when there hasn't been an injury midway through the year or at this point where something happens and you've got to plug somebody in and, and let them give a go. So uh, you're right. I, it's not the end of the world. And it, it definitely proves that you have depth. It's why you recruit the way you do. Uh, you can't just sit there and, and say the world's ending if you lose one player and it'll help you when come tournament time. I, I guarantee you that when you need a, a pinch hit, but somebody to step up to the plate or someone gets sick or hurt, in a regional or a super regional, you know that you have the confidence to to let those guys take that spot. All right. I want to do a little prediction here. Let's say it's the end of the season. It's NCAA tournament time. Everybody's healthy. What do you think the lineup looks like? Now, I think that there's going to be some that <clears throat> they're not even worth discussing because if Carter Young is healthy, he's going to be the shortstop. And I think that Enrique Bradfield seems entrenched in center. I think Cooper Davis is probably going to be somewhere I don't see how you would get Keegan's bat out of the lineup. Uh, but other places, what do you think that looks like? Maybe are there platoons at catcher or some other places? What do you think this lineup looks like at the end of the year at the other spots? Well, it's it's basically third base, catcher. You know, th those are two that stand out as far as uh, if they continue going to continue to platoon. 
And C.J. Rodriguez has bounced back here lately at the plate after starting, uh, striking out a lot more than he used to. Uh, what he was when he came here, he was known for being a contact hitter. And then you see Jason Gonzalez, who you know sat last weekend in a game and and a little bit of a slump, and he bounced back against Memphis and had a, a an outstanding game there. So I mean, you look at his line when Rodriguez, you know, I mean, excuse me. When Gonzalez, you know, he had four RBIs, three hits, three three for four against Memphis. So it, it's good to see these guys when they do sit to bounce back the way they do. It's one thing to sit there and sulk and, and get into uh, uh, a rhythm of feeling sorry for yourself. Now, you know, Isaiah Thomas, I mean, we could sit there and say, well, he hasn't done real well uh, compared to last year when he was so hot. I think he'll come around. I don't know if that's your other question mark. If if I, I just think he's too good to uh, consider that he won't be there at the end of the year. So to answer your question, I think it'll be pretty similar. Um, the question marks being catcher, third base for me, those would be the two. And it just depends on, uh, you know, you could almost say you could platoon if it's an SEC series, you're going to have uh, probably one catch anyway. So catcher, that's more. That's normal to do that. Third base is just a little more of the question mark for me, and whether uh, Jason Gonzalez can continue to to stay more level than he has been, rather than being up and down. But if he hits the ball like he did against Memphis in five at bats, I think I said four. He was three for five, uh, and and the fielding has got to be his situation if they can afford to have him at the hot corner and and uh, give up limitations there, which is Tim Corbin's not usually one who does that. Uh, and that's a tough spot uh, in the college game with the hot bats or that were just hotter than wood. Then you got to have somebody you can count on over there. And uh, we'll just see what Gonzalez does. Gonzalez has a very similar stat line to where he left off in 2019. Of course, he lost his job, you know, I guess a third of the way in the season in a hyper-competitive situation. But Gonzalez hit that year. I'm going batting average, slugging, excuse me, batting average on base, slugging. In 56 at-bats of 2019, he hit 357, 471, 446. Right now, he's hitting 382, 463, 559. Combined, that is going to be 90 at-bats. So pretty decent sample size for Jason Gonzalez over those last two years. I don't know if that tells you what kind of hitter he's going to be, but if it is, that's encouraging. To me, Chip, the wild cards are Jack Bolger and Spencer Jones because I think that they think Spencer Jones is potentially an elite bat for them, and I think they think Bolger is for them too. Now, I don't know if it's this year or further down the line, but where those guys fit in to me is very a very intriguing piece of this because I think, if nothing else, They've got a couple of talented bats off the bench if someone else gets hurt. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. And, and uh, you know, playing some, uh, going up against some elite arms this weekend will give them a chance to see how those guys react in a, in a hyper-competitive situation with plus-plus arms. So, yeah, it, it's still early, but I keep saying it's still early, and we keep doing this show week after week, and the next thing you know, we're going to be right into the SEC series and as I've talked to before, you know, it gets to a point where decisions have to be made and you have to go with people. And that goes for not only the position players, but the, the arms. I mean, how are you going to sort this out? How are you going to, you know, right now you look at the stats and 
and and Brownie has done a pretty good job of just giving inning here, inning here, two innings for one guy, and it's spread out. And I talked about this last week. I don't recall in the last couple of years having this many arms get these this many appearances. It seems like that's been an effort of Scott Brown to really throw guys out there. Uh, it happens every year, but I just don't remember it being this methodical. And I think that's good to get guys into games, uh, in situations where they're uncomfortable and they have to see if, as, as Tim Corbin calls it, calls it have a, a slower heartbeat than normal and can, can of course, they're not playing in front of five and 6,000 people, some, some places even more than that. But, you know, a lot of them are basically empty ballparks. I think that'll open up here uh, pretty soon. So, um, you know, it, it's something that um, as you move on here and with the big test this weekend, I'm glad that this team is playing a, a team like Oklahoma State on the road after being home for 13 straight games and, and see what they got. What'll be interesting about the pitching is to see how that plays out on the weekends. I think that Rocker and Light are, are obviously maybe the best two pitchers in the country. So they're going to have an advantage over whoever they play on the hill, I would think. Although probably diminishing returns on that because half the SEC has got a stud number one. Uh, and the number twos a lot of places aren't bad either. You know, now it's hard to find a really good number three starter. The weird thing is their advantage on Sundays might be bigger on the mound than it is on Friday and Saturday just because of the dynamics in the league. Because I think if you say that, that Schultz and Leboki can get that one between the two of them, you look down, Schultz has got a 174 ERA, Leboki a 225. That is in 19 and third combined innings. They've combined to strike out 25 guys and walk three. Uh, the thing that I think people keep missing with his pitching staff, unless you're really paying attention, it's not just those two guys at the top. It's the depth throughout. And, man, I don't know who's going to win the SEC, but I keep looking at them and thinking, you got a tough task to beat Vanderbilt any night in the league, no matter who's throwing. Yeah, and, and, and as far as the two of those, Rocker and Leiter, haven't really been extended. Of course, it's been very intentional. That's the way Brown and Corbin do. They're not... You haven't seen a, a pitcher, a rocker or lighter or, or Schultz or any of these guys go eight or nine yet. And, and I think that's smart. It's, it's too early to be doing that. Lighter is gone. I think in one of his outings, he went an inning or two longer than rocker. But as you get into the conference series, uh, as they go, you would expect that they're going to be extended a little more because against the quality teams, you're going to need, as long as they're effective, rocker and lighter to go more than five or six you'd like to think that you get those guys in the seventh inning and, and possibly the eighth and we'll see how that plays out this weekend as far as how far they go hopefully they can get into the seventh and eighth with the lead but yeah that's that's pretty formidable when you have those guys um and you see the eras on the, that are very impressive on the staff uh and the third starter is always that wild card starter pretty much across the country and this in the sec it's a little different as far as having a quality third guy. But, um, you know, you get that third guy by combo, have two guys handle it, like you said, and you get your midweek starter, and then things kind of fall into place. So, yeah, it, it's um, – I would think that definitely an advantage with those two guys, Rocker and Lighter, and I'm not sure how if they need to announce how they're going to do it this weekend as far as the order. And we talked about that last week. It's with the rainouts and the snow and the ice and all that how they're going to get back to normals, that rotation, because you really want to do that before next weekend, uh, if in fact that rotation is going to be those two guys, one and two, 
with the way these almost obsessively do the rest and the routine and the stretching in between starts and their bullpen, it'll be interesting to see if they can, if they do kind of slot one, two, three this weekend. Let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give Josh a call today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Seymour83 says, should we be concerned with the bats heading into Oklahoma State and SEC play as we were in the preseason? Granted, they're facing non-elite arms, but still they're making solid contact even when they get outs. In short, how much more optimistic are you? Oh, I'm optimistic. I think, I think you got some guys who, who have, um, you know, you've talked about Isaiah Thomas. Started out great last year, really, really hot, and he's hitting 282 now. I mean, you're, you're comparing uh, two different scenarios from a year ago, but I'm not really worried about the bats. I think they'll, they'll, you know, we're leaving a lot of guys on base. Um, saw that in that game on Wednesday, kind of sloppy contest by both teams, um, and uh, that's not really a huge concern. But I want to see a sample of what, what they're doing th- these next, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to give me a better barometer as far as that's concerned. So, yeah, I mean, if there's a glaring, you know, everybody's pointing to Isaiah Thomas and going, what the heck is going on there? Um, but, you know, he he bonded, if you notice, the first time he was up, it was a drag bunt. The third baseman was playing back. But I almost think that was an intentional act by him as well, that he went up there wanting to get on the base and, you know, get the snide off his back a little bit as far as, you know, I'm going to get get on and, and it, it's not an easy thing to do what he did, drag month. People think it is, but you have to have good hand-eye coordination and seeing the ball into the bat. And um, so I think that was intentional, and it was good to see him get on the base and and hope he, hopefully he'll climb back up. But worry on my worry meter right now, I think the bats will come around. Uh, pitching's a little head right now with your top guys pretty much around the country, and the bats usually when the, when the temperature starts rising, the bats uh, tend to heat up as well. There was also a question in there about are you concerned about all the guys left on base? My answer to that would be, and I know you just hit that a little bit, I'm really not. I would rather have the problem of you leave a bunch of runners on base than you're you're super efficient and you, you make the most of your opportunities, everything being equal in terms of how many runs you score, because that points to potential. Right now, the stat that I really like, they've got a 444 team on base percentage that's phenomenal and if you get guys on base the situational hitting and those things tend to end out as the season goes on to me I think that's a great problem to have because it points to the ability of your guys to get on base frequently and and you get guys on base you're going to score a lot of runs yeah I mean you get guys on base and you can move them the way Tim does as far as getting back to small ball and you get Enrique Bradfield on the base and, and he's perfect 11 for 11. And, and that's, you know, he's pretty much the only guy who's stealing bases other than Parker Nolan. Uh, you know, Cooper Davis got caught stealing. He's the only guy that's got caught the whole year. The team is 16 for 17 on the year. So it, it, uh, it a lot of things can happen when you get on base, just whether it be walking, uh, 
infield hit, uh, it, all those things matter. And and uh, unfortunately, on Wednesday against Memphis, they just left a lot on. You know, and one thing, a little side note about Enrique Bradfield, there was a note, um, I think it was on your board, someone put, you know, he's 11 for 11 on the season, and they're, they're already comparing him to a guy who has a single season uh, stolen base record that I played with, Bob Chavis, who was from Florida. He was a year or two older than me. And Bob, when he was on first base back in the late 80s, he was gone. I mean, it was it, you could sit there and throw over as many times as you want. Big, tall guy. He was about six foot two, and he could run like the wind. But it looks like Bradfield is, uh, is they project could possibly break his record. We'll have to see how that goes in, in conference play. But uh, he is a it, – it's interesting, Chris, when they do, which I think is pretty neat on the SEC Plus, they're – they had uh, you know Pedro Alvarez in the middle of the game. Uh, they've had some other guys who they interview mid-game and bring them on. You can see them on there, I guess, uh, via Zoom or Skype or what have you. And every single time, the guys when they remark about Bradfield, they, his his name is brought up. Especially you know the guys who've been in pro ball or high-level pro ball are just amazed at his his speed and 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 the way he moves on the base path. So it's good to see. That's always a good affirmation uh but it doesn't take long when you see that guy run uh you can tell he's a special player yeah you've seen a lot of players dating back 30 years or so is he's the is he the fastest guy Vanderbilt's had i think so i i it's just his first step now i, I want to see him the uh, rest of the I, steps I, are pretty good too <laughs> yeah but it, but it's but in the outfield as far as him going to get a ball i'm waiting to see him and he's he's tracked down some balls before but I'm really waiting to see him go get one uh, and, and uh, that he's not supposed to get or that any other human being wouldn't be able to get. Uh, and, and I'm not saying he can't do it. He just hadn't really had that many opportunities. But that's going to come, and, and that's when you're going to sit there. You can have the mouth open kind of now the way he seems to when he hits a ball in the gap. As I talked about last week, he's thinking three, not two, as far as a, a triple, not a double. Um, right out of the box and he's it, it you're going to get it's you're going to get some times when he's going to get thrown out maybe for being too aggressive but i'll take the the upside of that any day vu 65 says isaiah thomas played very little his freshman season due to all the experience on the national title team last year he started all 18 games and went through a short slump now this year his hitting has been disappointing Preseason, he was projected to be the best hitter. What can we expect from him the rest of the season? Yeah, last year, you know, he had a walk-off home run. I think it was a grand slam, wasn't it? Won the game against Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. He had a lot of great things happen. And then the season just abruptly ends, and you don't know what they did as far as any summer ball. And he comes in, and and in, in the fall, he, uh, he swung the bat well. It's just through 11 games and 39 at-bats, you know, what stands out? He strikes out a lot. I mean, 17 strikeouts and, and 39 at-bats. Um, that's not a great ratio, and you want to see him cut down on that. And perhaps what you're looking for him is just being more of a contact hitter instead of trying to lift the ball uh, on top of the – well, I was getting ready to say on top of the pool. That back when we played, that was the swimming pool. Um, I always say that, and people look at me and go, what pool are you talking about? But the, where the locker rooms are. Um, and, uh, and I think he'll, he'll come around. He's too talented to, uh, not be that way. And I don't think there's going to be any sense of giving up on him anytime soon. So I wouldn't close the book or lose hope on, on Isaiah Thomas anytime soon. 
Tor King wants to know your expectations for Christian Little this year. He's uh, he is really really talented, and he is really really young. And I don't mean that as I mean he Chris he was he should be playing in high school right now. And and the thought of that and talking to a a former teammate of mine, the fact that he did that and Tim Corbin has only had to do that one time in his career, and I and the name escapes me. Chris Harvey. Right, right, Chris Harvey. But it's never been a pitcher. And if you know, one thing I picked up, and I pick up a lot on, you, know, you can't really be there, so you're watching on the on SEC Plus, and the, the, the mound visit that went on with Scott Brown and, and him the other day when he was struggling in the first inning, it was a one-way conversation. Now, whatever, you can sit there and you can see those conversations. Brownie doesn't have those conversations all that often, but if it's something he sees that he doesn't like or he doesn't like his mental uh, frame as far as what he's doing, it is a one-way conversation, which they usually are, but it was a pretty stern talk that the two had. And I just noticed some body language that he had that wasn't perhaps he was maybe pressing a little bit too much or uh, he, he was he was not going after hitters and pitching to contact. So that's just something I picked up. He's really, really, he's 17 years old. I, that, you know, that blows me away. And for people to say, well, that's just one year, Chip. That's not a big deal. It is a huge deal because he wasn't here in the fall and you get to experience those, you know, the fall series here and get acclimated. And I was really, really surprised when he came in and was thrust in the role uh, several weeks ago, getting the midweek start. I think the expectations for him um, would be a guy who, midweek maybe gets a start here and there or throws two or three innings you might put him in in an SEC weekend where the game is out of hand or you need to get him in some you know an atmosphere where he's challenged I don't think at this point uh and I, I'm interested to hear what your opinion I don't see he's a um Sunday night starter in an NCAA regional where you win or take all you know I don't, I don't see that if that's what the the, the you're right. Your questioner is asking. I don't think he's in that role as that fourth starter. I just I think that's get, putting a lot on the kid at that age. Now maybe by the end of the year he's in, in, gotten his framework, his maturity, um, and he's pitched enough innings that he can. But usually through the years, this team, the guy who starts midweek, is the guy who, when you're playing at Louisville in a regional and you've won the elimination game and you. You, they, or, you know, you get beat and you got to have that winner-take-all game on a Sunday night or Monday. That's been the guy. And that's been the guy they've groomed throughout the year who's like 10-0, and 0, who you can sit there and go, we got this because we've got a, a, a guy who, who can take the ball and we have no problems with it. And it has nothing to do with talent, okay? He is extremely talented. And he's going to be – he's going to have a great year. But there is something to be said about not having – innings in SEC parks, and I, I laugh when I say that because neither is Jack Leiter, but th- there's a difference between the two, I think, as far as the maturity and where they are in their pitching. I think McIlvain's going to be really, really good. I just don't know if he's going to be that guy that they're going to thrust in there if they need to uh, on that, you know, winner-take-all game or somebody gets injured or sick in a super regional and you got to skip a start and he's thrown in there. He's probably going to be that one day, but I just don't know right now in the second week of March if he's going to be that guy. 
Yeah, I mean, they've got Rocker, they've got Leiter, they've got Schultz, they've got Laboki, they've got Ethan Smith who could start. I mean, I think at best he's sixth in the pecking order. I, I think you'd probably put Patrick Riley ahead of him, even though he's all all his outings have been out of the bullpen. There's just a disconnect right now between the stuff and the results because he's given up nine hits in six and a third innings. Two have been doubles, two have been home runs. I don't know if it's just a refinement of things. I've not been able to see. In fact, I didn't get to see any of the Memphis start. I listened to a little bit online. But th- there's just something that in all three appearances, he's gotten touched up. And I think that's just whatever that is that needs to be sanded down that comes with time and maturity. And it may not happen this year. I think if people have got the bar of expectations set at him being that guy, like you said, that pitches in a big spot in a regional, given the arms that they have and where those guys are compared to him and where he is, I just think that's a misplaced expectation right now. Yeah, and, and you, you can just keep throwing him out there. Some people might ask, and one person asked me, why the heck did they take him early? You know, why, why did Tim Corbin and Scott Brown, why did they let him have, be an early enrollee? You don't really know the situation, but you, if, if you're, I'm not saying that he dictated these terms, but you kind of like, you damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you take him early, he's not ready, perhaps, and and you've got a guy that you're gonna have to groom. If you don't take him, he'll get drafted and he'll sign. So you know that could have been the scenario too. That you know he really wanted to go to college, whatever the situation it was, and you, you really can't. It probably came down to okay, we'll take you, uh, but we know that there's no. As long as I've known Tim Corbin, there's never been any demands that, you know, I want to be a starter. I want to be the week weekday starter. I don't, they never do that. But if so, if you're good enough, you're going to get the ball. And, um, gosh, I mean, I just 17 years old. That's just, and people think that's, well, it's just one less than 18. It's a huge difference in sports, that extra year that you would have. Uh, and you think about he'd be pitching against high school kids right now and what that would be like. Of course, his surrounding cast might not be as good. And, you know, there are times out there when you're when you're a team as talented as Vanderbilt, you think I could go out there and still pitch. But, uh, you know, it's um, we'll see how he develops. And I, I feel good about him. There's nothing again about his talent. He's he's got a good curveball, 12, six curveball that he spins really well. And his velocity was getting up to 95 at times. Um not sure how accurate the stadium gun is. I've heard some different things about that, but um, that's at least what they were reporting. So good velocity plus break and pitch, and he's just going to mature, and I think uh, they're kind of going to throw him out there and see what he does. Chip, I know you've got to run here momentarily. I want to give you the floor for closing thoughts of anything that you think is worth the mention that we did not get to, and, of course, a moment to talk about your real estate business. Sure, Chris. Uh, yeah, just about this weekend, it's going to be interesting. Um, Oklahoma State undefeated. That's intriguing. Uh, you've got the situation with Coach Holiday, who's who's the coach there, who was at Vanderbilt, and he and Tim Corbin, of course, are really really close. This team was thirteen and five last year, the same record, ironically, that the Vanderbilt team was when the when the when the world seemed to stop. Interesting notes about Oklahoma State. I kind of ran across. You need other than Josh Holiday. These guys are coached probably really, really well and a very unique coaching staff. I don't know if you've looked at it, but you've got Matt Holiday, his brother, of course, from the pro ranks. He's a volunteer assistant. And then you have Robin Ventura is a student assistant. Now, <laughs> I guess Robin's going back and getting his degree, but um, 
that's pretty impressive. So, you know, you, this team, Rob Walton's their uh, pitching coach. You know, it, the way I look at this is a really good baseball environment. A lot of Oklahoma, Texas guys, real good baseball area. You know, they've got guys who are important to that program, who played there, who are on the coaching staff as far as the Holiday uh, brothers and, and Rob Walton, the pitching coach. They got a mixture of JUCO guys and Oklahoma guys. You get those JUCO guys who have the experience. They got about seven or eight of those guys who who um, are making their mark. And they've beat some beaten some teams this year. I mean, that they haven't played a loaded schedule. Uh, you know, they they played Sam Houston State, Wichita State on the road. Of course, beat them. Actually, Sam Houston got canceled. My fault. But Wichita State, um, Illinois State. Grand Canyon, uh, who they played um, about a week ago, and then they beat Oral Roberts midweek, who did a number on LSU, by the way, which was surprising uh, in Baton Rouge. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be um, a series that I think will will be contested. I think there's going to be a lot of energy. Oklahoma State's definitely going to be ready for it because they want to play well for their coach. Of course, and knowing that uh, it's, you've got a team that is the defending, technically defending national champions coming into their stadium. So uh, I think it's a great matchup. I'm glad uh, Tim's taking them out there. It's a great tune-up for uh, the SEC season, and uh, we'll just see how it goes on as far as that and and um, kind of give a barometer. It's always good to have these. This team either has gone out west or they've gone to Arizona or gone to a tournament in uh, you know, play quality teams, and this is what you're going to get. Um, and, you know, a, a close relationship between the staffs made it happen uh, to uh, for Tim and, and his team to go out there. So hopefully the COVID situation won't get in the way much and the depth will, will take uh, care of itself and, and we'll see how it goes this weekend. And to mention, to close about our my real estate company, just a reminder that it is the spring season here for real estate in Nashville. Um, already started about a month ago. The market's still hot, and we have over 170 agents at our company, Frederick and Clark Realty, uh, to help you with your buying needs or selling needs of, of homes in the Nashville, the Middle Tennessee area. Check out our website. We've got a very interactive website that can show you homes in your area, specific zip codes, uh, areas of town, number of bedrooms and baths you're looking for if you're looking to buy. If you're interested in seeing how much your home is worth, you can give us a call. I'll hook you up with one of our one of our agents that that specializes in the type of home that you have and give you a no obligation valuation of your home and kind of tell you how the market is is going here in Nashville, which is extremely hot still, and I don't think it's going to be um, going downhill any anytime soon. So good being with you again, Chris, and we'll see uh, next week how we turn out, and hopefully we'll be on the good side. Chip, can't wait to talk next week because we'll have OSU in the rearview mirror, South Carolina, on the burner ahead. And this is when it gets to be a lot of fun. And I just can't wait to see how this turns out and to talk to you again next week. Well, one quick thing, Chris, just for how can you, what is the watching situation? Is it just SEC Plus, I hear? It's ESPN Plus, which you've or got ESPN to have Plus. that subscription that's different than the SEC Network Plus, which comes with your cable package. So that is a specific subscription you have to have through ESPN. Now, I think if you get the Disney package, uh, the Disney, what what is it called? I, I, I should know this. I have kids. Hulu plot, plot, something um, Plus. Well, the, yeah, the Disney Plus. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that yeah. comes with it. Uh, or if you have an ESPN Insider subscription, ESPN Plus, whatever they call it now, that comes with it too. I think I'm covered two ways. 
So I think my access is through the ESPN Premium thing. But yes, if you are counting on getting this game through your normal means, uh, you will not be able to get it that way. You need to purchase that specific subscription to ESPN+. Plus. Gotcha. Okay. Well, good talking to you, and hopefully uh, things work out for us this weekend as we head on to the uh, Gamecock series. So good talking to you, Chris. Yeah, same here indeed. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Stay tuned. We should have at least one more of these episodes coming later this week.